when you have a cancer diagnosis, you're just thrown into a whole new world that you never expected you had, that you would ever have to go through, especially for young women that are sort of at their prime. They're starting their jobs, they're moms, they're figuring out life and relationships, and then all of a sudden you're thrown down this loophole where it's like, actually, we're going to sidetrack you way over here and try to, you know, you can find your way back. Hello, I'm Eric Anderson. The voice you just heard belongs to Kim Swatecki, and she is one of the many voices you will hear in episode 12, part one of YXE Underground. Say the word cancer and each of you will have something different come to mind. It might involve a loved one who had cancer or perhaps is going through treatments right now. It could be the memory of someone close to you who lost their battle with the disease. I know for myself, I think of my Uncle Cam who passed away rather suddenly 14 years ago from a type of cancer called mesothelioma. Say the word cancer in the context of a podcast and it opens up a world of storytelling possibilities. Some of those stories are uplifting, others are courageous even if they might not end the way we want them to. For the next two episodes, we are going to introduce a wide range of people in Saskatoon who have connections with cancer. Our focus will be on people who are helping those in Saskatoon either undergoing treatments for cancer or post-treatment stages of their battles. You'll notice I said we. That was on purpose because I have a very special guest who will be co-hosting the next two episodes, and that would be my friend Amy Smith-Morris. And we're actually in Amy's backyard on a Friday morning and uh, she's sitting right beside me. Hi Amy. Hey Eric, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, Thank you for this Um, and we'll get more into this later on in the podcast but um, none of this would be possible without you so thank you. Oh I don't know if I can take much credit but you're welcome. Well I'm I'm giving you all the credit because um, so many of the people that you're going to hear in this podcast um, come through connections with you and and your own story and um, so the funny thing is um, we've known each other for quite some time and and you're too darn popular and well known to be a guest on YXE Underground because you're too above ground Um, but it's it's been great working with you the last few months, um, getting these episodes assembled. And, and I want you to share your story in terms of, of how you became involved with, with, all things, with all things cancer. Yeah, so I agree. I am too. I'm not underground at all. I'm very above ground. And that was not something I always thought I was going to be doing when it came to my um, story of cancer and how I fought cancer. Um, so really, for me to tell my story, I have to go back to the beginning. So it was 2016, and my husband and I had both just finished our doctorates. So I have a doctorate in oncology pharmacy, and my husband has a doctorate in nutrition. So we're very healthy people. I was just about to turn 30. Um, we're both competitive strength athletes, both been on Team Canada. Um, so needless to say, like there is not a lot of junk food in our house and we are very aware of our bodies. So um, we were getting ready to get married in September and we did. We had a lovely wedding um, in Saskatoon and shortly after we went on a honeymoon to Italy and Greece. And we did what I think everyone should do when they travel to Italy and Greece, is we ate our way through the countries. So pizza and ice cream and cheese. I'm getting really hungry even just thinking about this. Um, And when I came home, needless to say, I'd gained a little bit of weight. Go figure. 
Um, so what I noticed though is after a couple weeks of getting back to our routine, I wasn't losing that weight. I was actually maybe even gaining another pound or two. And the only other symptom I had, and I mean the only other symptom, was heartburn. I had heartburn all the time, acid reflux, every day. I was constantly chewing on Tom. So I went to the doctor. And it was, didn't take long um, to realize that I had a tumor on my ovary the size of a football. So 21 centimeters by 10 centimeters. And that's kind of when I found out that I had ovarian cancer at the age of 30. Um, so I underwent surgery to remove that tumor and my left ovary, um, 35 staples, the longest incision you can imagine across your abdomen, um, followed by four cycles of chemo, um, and then the long, long recovery that came after that. I, I had the privilege of, of, of telling your story uh, for a CBC story that we did, um, and this was... I think I, Had you finished chemo when, when we did the story? Because you, you were back to lifting you and Mark were lifting but had you finished chemo then or I don't think so I think I was in between cycles at that point yeah, yeah that was 2017 early 2017 yeah. yeah yeah um and so it was a real privilege to to tell your story um and there was there was so much positive feedback and now you've you've turned that into um like would it be fair to say like a, another part of your career in terms of I would say outreach and, and I don't know if activism is the right word, but do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm glad you touched on that. Like certainly um, before I was diagnosed, and I failed to mention this in the first part of my story, is I, I was working at the, SAS, um, the Saskatchewan Cancer Center. So I was working as an oncology pharmacist, um, working with people with cancer every day. And how I ended up at the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency is it wasn't any real like definite career path I had. I, I finished my degree and I and I did a um, kind of like a clinical master's at a Regina Capel. Um, and then I, I was just kind of looking for jobs and I kept asking for a job at the cancer agency and I'm not sure why. And I kept asking and asking and eventually they caved and gave me a job. And um, then when I was diagnosed, um, I just thought this is why I ended up here. Like this is this is some path that I was supposed to be on. And so now, having gone through treatment myself and being diagnosed, I just feel like I can relate to people so much closer. I know the clinical side of things, but then I also know what it's actually like to walk through the fire. Um, so I just really feel now that cancer and cancer care is a part of me, and it's always going to be. Um, so I definitely consider myself an activist, and I try to advocate for people with cancer all the time. And so I do that through my social media. I do it through things like this to raise awareness, fundraising, research, whatever avenue I can, that's, that's where I go. And one, one, of the, uh, one of the great things that, that you've started to do are, are these, um, I, I, I guess, gatherings called Chai and Chats. And so um, right now we are hearing a little bit of, uh, of a Chai and Chat. And I was lucky enough um, to go uh, to your first one. That was way back in February um, when it was cold and dark. Um, but it was, it was really interesting. And I'm wondering, what, what do you remember of that first Chai and Chat? Um, so that was definitely handy going through it, especially there were sometimes I was in the hospital for big chunks of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I spent like 170 days in the hospital in 2014. Like that was like admitted to the hospital. 
Um, and then there's like all the blood work it. days yeah. and oncology day center days yeah. for blood or whatever. Um, so it was a big. So did you have? Definitely, I was definitely nervous. You know, like yeah. I, I started this um, like chai and chat group years, along with right? Kim, who you'll like hear from next. Yeah. But she and I really felt like as young females fighting cancer, there wasn't really a place that we fit in, right? So when you think about cancer, you often will think about, you know, your grandma that had cancer or someone that's a bit older, maybe, and maybe their picture's a bit different. They might have adult children, they might have paid off their mortgage, but for women like Kim and I, well, I didn't have any children when I was diagnosed. Kim was diagnosed, um, well, maybe I'll just leave that part of the story to her. Um, so Kim was very young. When That's she a very good teaser. <laughs> Kim was very young when she was diagnosed as well. And like, I was still paying and still am paying off student debt. And, you know, we have those financial pressures and it, it's just different for someone that's younger. So we started this group for just females. Um, and I say young females, but really young is however you define yourself. If you think you're too young to be diagnosed with cancer, then you're welcome to come. Um, and so I was definitely nervous to see how it would go, but it's really blossomed into something very special. And one of the, one of the great people that I was able to meet, thanks to you, was, was Kim uh, Switecki. And, and her story, yeah, is, is, is fantastic. So, um, so I'll sort of set the scene for everybody. Uh, I, I was getting um, some sound of everybody talking, and then you were kind enough to introduce me to Kim. And so we went off to a different part. We were at, was it Delish that yeah. we were at the coffee shop? Yes, yeah. yeah. Great coffee shop yeah. um, here in Saskatoon. And so uh, Kim and I went and um, and and sort of did our, our own conversation. And she's she's a really, really wonderful person. So um, so we're, we're off at this table to, to a side, and you guys kept talking. And then I, I started by asking Kim sort of to, to set the scene for us in terms of what was happening at Delish that night. We are having our first ever Survive Her Chai and Chat. Um, so we're getting together local survivors and fighters of cancer, females um, around the city or around Saskatoon, um, just to start building a network of female fighters and just to support each other through this incredible journey that nobody really wants to have but sometimes those connections are what get you through a very difficult time. Why did you want to start this? I want to start because when I was going through my cancer journey five years ago I felt almost lost um, as you're sitting in waiting rooms um, especially as a young female um, cancer fighter um, you look around and you can't necessarily really relate to a lot of other people. Um, they're generally a lot older, especially my type of cancer was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So there are a lot of um, senior um, patients. So looking around and trying to relate to somebody or find that same page of somebody that you know is going to be a new mom or is a new mom or early in their life and trying to figure out the next steps, um, there wasn't really anything around that I could find that had that in it. Um, so just trying to build that for other women and going forward for us um, as individuals to help each other and help ourselves, I guess. You sort of touched on it a bit there, but what? why is something like, like tonight, because around the table there's like seven or eight people and you're sharing stories about what you've been through or perhaps what you're going through right now. Like, what, why is that important um, for, for, for women that, that have 
either had cancer or going through it right now? I think a lot of it is like when you get when you have a cancer diagnosis, you're just thrown into a whole new world that you never expected you had that you would ever have to go through, especially for young women that are sort of at their prime. They're starting their jobs, they're moms, they're figuring out life and relationships, and then all of a sudden you're thrown down this loophole where it's like, actually, we're going to sidetrack you way over here and try to, you know, you can find your way back. Um, so having these connections and even taking the fear out of some of those experiences and just... I know a lot of the time, um, some of the procedures I had to go through is like it's big and scary because I didn't know anything about it and I didn't know anybody that had gone through it. But um, talking with people and seeing that people had, you know, like gone through it and it wasn't that scary and getting their experiences was huge, like to bring down my emotion, like my mental state, and just feel a little more comfortable going through it. And it's just nice to like sit around um, at a table and just be like, you get this. Can you remember a time when you were going through, um, maybe it was first of all with the with the diagnosis or maybe during the treatments where where you, you wish you would have had someone just to bounce ideas off of or bounce just like what you're going through or had questions? Like, do, do you remember a specific time that stands out? Um, I don't know. I know like partway through, partway through the journey, like I, we had gotten so much help at the cancer center and the oncology ward um like my husband and I would be sitting there talking it's like if we like make it out to the other side like we we want to do something like to give back to the community and like to grow this um in some way and we've dabbled with ideas um but never really came never really executed on anything I guess um and then a few years ago I was invited to talk at Shock Liqueur um, which is an organization in Saskatoon which raises money for the Saskatoon Cancer Centre. Um, so after I spoke there, um, I asked to join, and they were very humble and were um, all on board of me joining the organization and the committee. And then Amy um, was a speaker a few years later, so um, she's been on for a couple years, and we've just gotten to know each other for a couple times, or through Shockwick here and the events. Um, they have fashion shows and galas to raise money for the Cancer Center in Saskatoon, and now the Saskatchewan, or the Cancer Foundation of Saskatchewan. And then she has her survivor <laughs> uh, book that she had come up with in the concept, and then she put it out there being like, let's make this bigger. And I was just like, yes, yes, let's make this bigger. I want to do this. And like, I have all these ideas that, like, let's get women together and let's get people together and form a coalition so we can support each other and delve into like some of these big subjects. Or just even if you just need to go talk with somebody, even if it's not cancer related, but just have that understanding that like today is a bad day. Like, and you get me because you've been there. And I know, you know, like, I could talk to my husband about this, um, like it's a bad day, but he did, might not really quite get why, right? Um, as much as he tries to understand and get where I'm coming from and he's seen me through it, um, some days even post-treatment, it's like, this is just, like, it's not a good day for whatever reason and to have somebody around that just gets it because they've been there and they've been through that experience, sometimes it's just comforting in itself. 
You're a really good talker. <laughs> um, th- thank you. Um, you you mentioned the, some of the bigger subjects. What what are what are because I know tonight's like the first one, but what what would be some of those those big subjects um, that you would want to like hopefully get maybe get brought up, you know, naturally in a conversation. Um, sometimes I think some big ones that people might either avoid or be scared of talking about might be something like anxiety or depression going through it. Um, I know going through my experience, I pushed it off to the side a lot. Um, Doctors had mentioned like um, Oh, see, this is my brain fog. Um, after you have a baby, but you get depression. Postpartum. postpartum yes, I'm like, it's not post-traumatic. Um, postpartum. Um, they'd mentioned possibly that a couple times, and I was always pushing it off because I'm like, no, like there's all this other stuff going on. That's that's why it's going on. Um, but then about four or five months down the road, it was like, okay, yeah, like no, I need help. But like, it took me four or five months of people like telling me, you know, like bringing it up a bit to actually recognize and be okay with like dealing with. Um, So just, I guess the anxiety, depression side of things where because your life has done a huge shift um, from what your regular was to this other path that life is now taking you on um, can be quite traumatic quite traumatic and dealing with that can be very difficult um so finding the right realms and being okay with that um for lots of women it's fertility issues too that come up um a lot of the treatments will either affect their fertility or it might completely eradicate their fertility and for lots of women that are in their 20s to 30s going through this hopes of families or hopes of having kids like that could be crushing those dreams um, in the sense that they've always thought of um, there's definitely other methods that might be able to grow your family but it might not be the way that you always imagined it um, so those sorts of ideas that are big that we can relate to each other with um, I hope we're able to help people with and even if it's not like at a monthly meeting where we just talk cancer we just want this like build a network so that people feel comfortable and they make some connections and they might make that connection that yeah like I'm just going to text my friend that I met at Chai and Chat and say like hey I'm having a rough day like want to go for coffee and even if they just find their own way to connect and talk and network that way like I think that's what we're really trying to get at too is just making connections and having people feel safe and comfortable reaching out to other people in our community. This is really important to you, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I, it feels like I'm maybe having an impact. Um, hopefully helping somebody go through something that nobody wants to go through, but maybe in a way that will brighten their day a little bit going through it. Yeah. Um, want to ask you too about um, in terms of of other resources in the city are are there are there things that sort of stand out in terms of like yeah like we're, we're doing this well in Saskatoon or are there are there gaps where you would like to see more support and I'm guessing that perhaps this is perhaps filling one like what you're doing tonight but um, anything you want to say about that um, I know there are several places around the city that do yoga classes for cancer patients um, that are really good and um, 
they're really good at building their groups and connecting with the people within them. There's the traditional support groups that, um, like through the cancer agency and things like that. Um, but yeah, other than that, I like I never found that thing that brought lots of people together. Um, Amy um, was really good when she came to Chocolate Care. She's being um, bringing the cancer couture set to their fashion fashion show, which I think is really good because it um, female cancer survivors and fighters can apply to model in the cancer um, in the fashion show at Dutch Growers uh, and just building those groups, right? Like bringing those female cancer survivors and fighters together for that show, but getting them to do something where it's like, it's exciting, it's fun, they can bring their family out. It's something different. And I think like when you see it, it's just like everybody gets goosebumps and like the round of applause that the ladies get when they're done walking the show, like it's just like, it gives, like it gives me goosebumps just talking about right now, thinking about it um, and seeing like, I've had friends walk in it and just like seeing how empowering it is for them. Um, one of my friends, like it's the first time she was out in public um, with, without any hair. So like, but just rocked it on the runway and like empowering hugely empowering and just for people to see that as well that you know like these women when you're fighting cancer you don't necessarily have to be just you know like hold up at home like you can still do these other things and you can still be powerful and you're still a woman and you're still beautiful and um, just bring those groups together because now those groups like they know each other they had that fun night out and now um, Amy like they have their groups on Facebook and like they still chat with each other and um, I think one of our members here tonight is one of the first cancer couture models, so she's in one of the first shows. And you know, like things like that, and making making those connections. I think, um, but just I think we're just trying to make more of those happen. So, yeah. Last question for you: How how will you know if uh, if what you're doing tonight with China Chat? How will you know? if it's a success in your mind? That's a good question. Um, I guess if we keep having, you know, like these get-togethers and we keep seeing new faces and, um, you know, like if we're asking, like, how did you hear about us at these connections? And it's like, oh, well, I heard from this person or from this person, from this person that has been in the group too, that the word is getting out there and that they're talking to each other and it might be a friend of a friend or um, even if it's like, oh, you know, my friend told me about this group, can I come? I think those are going to be the important ones where it's we're getting people that might not have necessarily known about it first, but um, they've heard about us through the grapevine and yeah. I guess growing the connections and seeing the group get bigger, maybe having to find a bigger space than 10, 10 person table, but um, I'm really happy with the turnout tonight. This is sort of a test to see how it would go and hopefully have bigger, yeah, more events and bigger, more get togethers. And we've got a few fun ideas planned for different types of get togethers. So it won't always be coming and sitting and having coffee in a chat. It could be like going paddle boarding or doing a book club or just different things that 
we can connect with, but not necessarily only talk about cancer. I think is the big part too, is that we're connecting on all parts of life, but we also have that connection if we need to chat about that side. You inspire us, like they had different people's pictures and they'd asked me to be one of them. Um, so my picture is there and after my son's like, why were you on this, like, why did it say like you inspire us and things like that? And there's another section that was we remember. So we talked about the differences of it and he, he knows I've had cancer because he sees pictures of us when he was a baby, he's like, why don't you have hair when I was a kid? Or like, when I was a baby, what happened to your hair? So very generically, on one of his vaccination days, one of the nurses was like, oh, like, I'm putting soldiers in your body to help you fight the germs. So it's just sort of like, well, like, I had a big germ in my body called cancer. And like, sort of explained that. He's like, and now you won, mom. Your soldiers won the battle. He's like... You can choose where to go for supper because your soldiers won the battle. Yeah, but now we go. I really appreciated how honest Kim was in in the conversation, especially when she discussed how she was going through her cancer experiences five years ago. She didn't have a lot of people to talk with, which makes I think, Amy, these chine chats that that you two are doing so important. Yeah. Kim, Kim is wonderful, isn't she? And she's such a testament to what people with cancer are all about. And I think you'll realize that when you listen to the different interviews in these podcasts, but also the people that work with people with cancer, is that these people, they just like continue on, right? And Kim talks about her story, just, you know, not really nonchalantly, but like that this is what happened and this is what she did to, to overcome it. And it's incredible. Yeah, and she was, I think she said 24 weeks pregnant when she was first, like, like I, I can't, can't imagine that like that's yeah yeah. Yeah, like you're already 24 weeks pregnant with your first child it's already a very bizarre time anyways you're not really sure what your body's doing and now let's just throw cancer into the mix so I'm I'm very happy that your child chats are going well you guys just did one last week right yeah last week we were at 220 um, and we did a vision board workshop with uh, Lana Price right who's a life coach and so we were working on bucket lists and how to achieve these goals it was a really lovely evening You are listening to part one of episode 12 of Waxy Underground. I'm Eric Anderson, and I'm joined by Amy Smith-Morris. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, and you can find all episodes on yxeunderground.com. Uh, we are talking about cancer in this episode and speaking with people from Saskatoon who are helping others who are undergoing cancer treatments or need help post-treatment. We're in Amy's backyard. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon, and I wanted to ask you, Amy, about how you were feeling kind of during and after your treatments, but especially when it comes to food. So I think we have this in common, is that we both love good food. We both love good food, yes. So I was a very, I say, I was a very well-fed child (laughs) growing up, (laughs) surrounded by very lean sisters. So that was difficult, but um, I love food and I love eating and I love the social aspects of it. I love trying new things. So when I went through treatment, that was challenging for me, definitely, because food tastes different, and you're just kind of struggling to find out what, what you can tolerate. Like, what, what would you actually eat if it was put in front of you? So can you give me an example of, of a food that tasted different? Because I have a hard time wrapping my head around that. Yeah, let's go, like, very basic. Like, water tastes different. Water can taste, like, kind of 
just like metallic-y almost, or it just, it just doesn't taste the same. Because water tastes like nothing, right? So it's bizarre. So to kind of get around that, I was doing, you know, maybe putting like um, meal or flavoring into water to stay hydrated. Or, you know, maybe previously I was avoiding certain foods because I didn't really like them. And now I was eating them all the time during treatment because it's really all I could tolerate. I, I know I remember during treatment, I lift with a, a lady in the city, so I lift weights with a lady in the city, and she would go to Costco, and they have these melons, and I don't even know what kind of melons they are. It's probably like a hybrid. And I, she would just bring me like melons all, every time she went to Costco, and I was like, Sandy, bring me more melons. Because they just appeal to you. Yeah, that, that was just it. Those just tasted good at that time. I, 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 I found this fascinating because I, I wanted to learn more about the relationship with, with food and, and when a person is undergoing cancer treatments in post because we're, where I work at Sherbrooke, we're doing a lot of education and learning a lot more in terms of the research about um, relation to diet and uh, for people who have dementia or early onset dementia um, and that relationship. And I, I just find that fascinating. Um, so I, I, I wanted to learn more and so i i reached out to um to the uh, saskatoon cancer uh, center and saskatchewan cancer center and they put me in touch with a woman named jess uh, jennifer fisher and uh jennifer is a registered dietitian at the saskatoon cancer center and you know when when she talked about different like food tastes different and so her her example and you're about to hear it in the interview um relates to tuna sandwiches i don't know if you're a fan of tuna sandwiches i can't even imagine <laughs> i i'm not a huge tuna sandwich person myself but yeah. i thought it was a re really great example because people that love tuna sandwiches really love tuna and sandwiches like a very distinct taste yeah. too right yeah. mm -hmm. and so if that tastes if it tastes different then yeah how's yeah. that feel so um so I, I met Jennifer at the uh, at the Saskatoon Cancer Center, um, and we, we started our conversation with what a typical day might be for her. Uh, yeah, it's true that there isn't a very typical day around here, but uh, the dietitians see all types of patients. So we see people when they're here receiving their chemotherapy, when they're here for their radiation treatments, just seeing doctors. And just to help out uh, so that people don't have to come for extra appointments, we try to see them when they're here already. Uh, just to make it a little easier, parking is, a, is not always easy around here, so just to limit the number of trips. Uh, and what we dietitians do here, we basically help patients with any nutrition-related questions or concerns that they have before, during, or after their treatments. Uh, much of our role is just to help them manage those symptoms that are keeping them from eating. So what, what would those symptoms be? So generally just a lack of appetite. People just might not feel like eating, nausea. Uh, people will say, you know what, food just doesn't taste the way it used to. Uh, a tuna sandwich doesn't taste like a tuna sandwich anymore. Uh, or just trouble regulating, the, uh, regulating their bowels, you know, things like that. Just anything that pertains to food going in and any problems that they might have, uh, helping with weight loss, just anything that comes up. So when when someone comes in and says, Jennifer, my tuna sandwich doesn't taste like a tuna sandwich anymore, how, how do you respond to that? And then how do you how do you work to maybe help them, you know, discover new tuna sandwiches or something like that? How, like, how does that work? So it can be a side effect of the chemotherapy or radiation, depending on where you're being radiated. But 
uh, it can be a tricky side effect to deal with. It's actually one of the hardest ones because there isn't an easy answer. You know, if people are feeling nauseated, you know, we give them a pill and they feel better. There isn't a way to really make the ta- food taste the way it should again. So it's about adding adding different things and trying to trick your brain into thinking that you like the food. So going back to the tuna sandwich, for example, usually pickles fix everything. Or using a lot of mayonnaise to make things more slick and just easier to get down so you don't have to chew it quite so much. So if it doesn't taste good, you don't want it in your mouth for a very long time. So just little tips like that. Is it... Um... Is it hard for people when, because I, like I, I love food. I, I love good food. And if if some of my favorite foods didn't, like if a cheeseburger didn't taste the same, <laughs> I would, but that, like that would upset me. So like, um, do you have to, like, is there a certain sense of, or a certain part of like counseling that you almost have to do too with your job? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Food is, it's a very social aspect and we, we eat to and enjoy it right and when that's when that's difficult to do a lot of it is um being almost like a cheerleader you know just you can do it you know just you know it's it's temporary if we can get you through these treatments you know food will taste good again and you know sometimes it's about not eating your favorite foods during treatment because if they don't taste the way they should they won't be your favorite foods very long so just trying to find different alternatives that people might enjoy to get them through the treatment and then they can hopefully enjoy their foods a little later. Do you find that people are are open to to your suggestions for for other foods? Oh yeah, definitely. If people you know, just because eating is so important, you know, and if it's not going well, they're like, "What can I eat?" you know, and help me, I will take any suggestion. Let's just make this easier. Um so I'm I'm just thinking back to my cheeseburger example. Maybe that wasn't the the best example. But when when people are undergoing treatments, um, is like do you recommend Jennifer like um, that people should be eating maybe like healthier foods or like a, how important a, a role I guess does diet play when you're undergoing treatments uh, for cancer? Uh, well, I may be biased, but I think diet is very important. <laughs> um, it uh, diet it can play an important part for people receiving these cancer treatments. It's estimated that up to 80% of people uh, diagnosed with cancer and going through treatments struggle with something called malnutrition. So it's basically just not getting the nutrients that you need. And so just having the right type of diet can help people just feel stronger, get through the treatments a little easier, uh, not too many delays, and just yeah, having a shorter recovery time just it generally goes a lot better if we can get people eating. With the, re- the recovery time, tell me about that. Like, how how important does does eating the right food pay off in the end? Yeah, so if you if people are losing weight during treatment and just having a hard time, um, it's of course it's not all diet, but uh, if the better people do during treatment, usually the faster and easier their recovery time. What made you want to get into the, this line of this line of work? Uh, well, my previous position, I worked in a hospital, and so I really enjoyed the clinical work, but I kind of missed the part of long-term follow-up with people because they're in the hospital, I would see them, they get discharged, and I would never really know what's going on. So uh, when I when this position opened up, I applied because I thought it would be just that nice 
mix of the clinical work plus just being able to follow people for a long time, you know, through their through their cancer treatments and just see see how it goes and see if I can help them. I've had some people close to me uh, diagnosed with cancer, so just um, I guess that always made an impression on me and just seeing how tough it can be uh, just helped guide me into the into this world of oncology. You mentioned the the relationships and, and how you get to see people when they first come here to the cancer center and then throughout their journey. Um, what, what, what is what is that experience like for you when you see maybe someone come in, you know, on, on day one? And I guess depending on the treatments, like it, it can be a long-lasting relationship, I'm guessing? Oh, yeah. I've had people that I've seen for years and, you know, we're almost – it's – good friends you know we're, we're asking about each other's pets and we're asking about the kids and the grandkids and uh, just just building that rapport and building a connection with people because it's also important to remember that people are more than their cancer diagnosis right because you know they come here and it's very of course they're here because they have cancer but that's that's not all they are so just making those connections and just helping bring back a little bit of the humanity to the conversation as well that's that's a really nice way to, to put it and, and you're but you're not the first first person for this podcast that has said that that someone is more than just the cancer diagnosis but is that hard sometimes because it, it becomes from what I've learned anyways um, it becomes so all-encompassing but is is it hard to kind of separate the two it can be you know when you're in the treatments and you're if you're not feeling well it's just it's impossible sometimes to just, you know, for people to pick themselves up and, and get through their normal activities, you know, just even, uh, you know, dusting or going for groceries, you know, it's, it's, it's so much harder. So just to get people feeling better and remember, you know, there's this cancer part, but there's also this other part that we need to keep healthy and strong and um, we also have social workers here that really help with the with the psychological, mental aspects of things as well. So um, just whatever the patient needs, hopefully we can get them through. Do you enjoy being part of a team like this here at the center? Oh, definitely. Yes, we take a very kind of multidisciplinary approach here. Uh, so it's it, that's one of the things I love about this job is we... The doctors, the nurses, their social workers, pharmacy, um, the radiation technicians, and everyone else that I'm forgetting right now. But kind of, it's starting to feel like an Oscar speech now. But <laughs> <laughs> but just we all we all get together, and it's a very um, amiable group, and we just all do our little piece of what we can to make sure that the person is getting kind of the the best care that they need in their individual situation. Um, I, w- I want to ask one more specific question about about your role. Um, and you mentioned kind of the, the long-term relationship that you have with, with people. And, and when so when you see them leave um, and, and say, for example, it's, it's everything's turned out well and it's a clean bill of health, um, do you, as a role as a dietitian, do you give that person sort of guidelines or in terms of like diet suggestions to to keep their health up or do you just say you know have as many tuna sandwiches as you want or cheeseburgers as you want I'm guessing maybe not but well a little bit of it depends on on how they did during the treatment uh 
if people are just feeling well and they're ready to get back into their old ways, you know, just it's it's great that people feel that they can do that. Uh, for some people, if the treatments were a little tougher on them, I usually recommend that they just kind of stay on whatever diet I prescribed for them until they're feeling a little bit better. And that it can take, you know, months or even a year or two, just uh, depending on what happens. So just uh, getting back into the normal swing of things is good, but just recognizing that sometimes it might take a little bit longer. What, what do you love most about your job? The people, of course. It's the patients. Um, just when they're receiving their cancer treatments and they come here and it's just this scary world of unknowns that they're entering and just seeing how strong and resilient people are and just the attitudes coming in um, and just seeing all of the support that they get from family and friends and communities. Um, it's just its just really, really inspiring to see. Thank you for your time today. Um, I, I, I know when we were talking beforehand, you, you were slightly nervous about this, but I think you did a fantastic job. So Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> I will never take for granted the, the taste of a cheeseburger. Again, I can't imagine, Amy, a cheeseburger not tasting like a cheeseburger. And like that, that would legitimately upset me. And I can't imagine what it was like for, for, for you, the, the fact that water tasted different or the fact that you have now a sudden craving for these melons at Costco. <laughs> like that must be so weird. Yeah. I know. Isn't it strange? It's, it's really bizarre, but... I think like really my love for food actually helped me through treatment because I didn't lose weight during treatment. I, and I know um, Jennifer talks a lot about um, how lots of 80%, I think she says, of people with cancer struggle with um, being malnourished. And I think my love of food really carried me through it. So I, I didn't gain weight and I kind of figured I wouldn't gain, I mean, didn't lose weight and I kind of figured I wouldn't lose weight. Um, so that all worked out anyways. I, I'm wondering though, like, in when you were undergoing chemo treatments was there like did your appetite did it go away or was it still there definitely it had ups and downs right so i had chemo every 3 weeks is how my uh, therapy went so immediately after chemo it definitely took a hit um but then it would perk back up um so i could eat quite a bit to prepare for the next cycle um I feel like we could have a separate podcast just talking about food and our favorite places to eat in Saskatoon. The but YXE underground food. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that would be kind of fun. That'd be lots of fun. Uh, this is part one of episode 12 of YXE Underground. I'm Eric Anderson, and I'm joined by cancer survivor and the pride. Can I say the pride of Abby oh, Saskatchewan? God. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> well, I, I should say, too. So your family grew up. Uh, with my wife's family. and the, So can I say Pride of Abbey, Saskatchewan, or is it more Lancer or no. Port Reeve? Or Abbey, right? It's wherever yeah. you get your mail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Abbey, Abbey. <laughs> Amy Smith-Morris. Um, and you, you can subscribe to this podcast by finding it. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast app. And you can also stream episodes on Spotify and on the website at yxeunderground.com. And Amy, I want to ask you, where can people find your website? Because it's... It's a great website. Oh, thanks. Um, so you can find me at amydfarmd.com. So it's A-M-Y-D-E-E uh, farmd.com. And I have a blog up there, and uh, that's quite active. My goal for this year was to blog for 52 weeks straight. So there's content every week for the next 52 weeks. How is that going? Ah, uh, you know what? I started in November, so it wasn't really a New Year's resolution. And it's going pretty strong so far. Yeah. 
That's good because I, I find just with this podcast, the social media requirements and sort of it's it's a lot of work. It is. There's no doubt about that. It's a ton of work. But I think I really like writing and um, because I'm on maternity leave now as well, I have a bit of time to do writing in between doing other things. So um, I thought I'd give it a shot. You're a very good writer too. Um, so what, one of the organizations in in the province that's that's having a presence online, on social media, uh, that would be the Cancer Foundation of Saskatchewan. And the CEO of this foundation is a woman named Nora Yates. And I did not know who Nora Yates was, but thankfully for you, uh, Amy, you, you did know her and, and you, you set us up. And I'm wondering if you could tell me about how you were able to cross paths with Nora. I think I first learned about the Cancer Foundation of Saskatchewan um, through the Chocolate Cure Committee in Saskatoon. So this is a, a board of um, mainly women that are based in Saskatoon. And they're kind of like this big fundraising force for the Saskatchewan um, Cancer Agency. Um, and so I sit on that board along with Kim, who you've heard an interview from her. Um, and we um, were finding out that our fundraising efforts were going to be shifted from the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency to this new foundation um, that was going to be started. And so I'd first heard about the foundation then. Um, and then being so involved in cancer care and advocacy work in Saskatchewan, I just thought, oh, I have to meet this person. This would be interesting. So I reached out and uh, Nora is lovely and gave me an opportunity just to have coffee with her. She's she is really really interesting, um, and you're, you'll hear it in the interview. But uh, her fundraising career is so extensive with various organizations, um, and I and I find the the art of fundraising to be fascinating because I, I am not comfortable asking for money at all, except maybe if it's my parents. But um, and, and yet this is her job, and it's an important job. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. it's it's very interesting. Um, Nora is a hard person to track down. So this interview took it probably took a couple months of, of figuring out um, where she was going to be. But we both thought it was important to speak with her because the work that the foundation does really has an impact here in Saskatoon, doesn't it? Yeah, and talk about underground, right? This foundation is brand new. Yes. So something lots of people haven't heard about before. Yeah. So um, I actually tracked down Nora in Regina. Um, and there, there's nothing wrong with doing an interview in Regina, um, but Saskatoon's better. But anyways, uh, I went to Regina. Lots a bunch of listeners, yeah, maybe, too. <laughs> no, lived in Regina for six years. It's a great city. Um, so we actually met for coffee um, at a place called The Naked Bean, which is right across from uh, from the CBC in Regina. Um, and, and Nora's awesome. And um, so we met in Regina, and I learned so much from her. And um, so the, the first, I, I guess the first thing I wanted to ask if I could just flip this paper here. There we go. So, like we said, she is the CEO of the Cancer Foundation of Saskatchewan. And yes, we started by asking how she would describe the foundation. Oh my goodness, that's a big question <laughs> with a big answer. So the Cancer Foundation of Saskatchewan received charitable status. We are a charity, received charitable status in May of 2018. And as of January 2019, this year, we became the official charitable receiving body for the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency. So if, I, if you want to know who the foundation is, we're the fundraising partner of the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency. So to understand that, you need to know who the agency is, because that really is the crux of who we support and why we're here. So the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency is the uh, governing body 
parallel to the Saskatchewan Health Authority, where the Saskatchewan Health Authority looks after health care, the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency looks after cancer care and cancer control in this province. So the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency operates the two cancer clinics, the Saskatoon Cancer Centre, the Allen Blair Cancer Centre in Regina, the patient lodges where cancer patients can stay um, overnight when they're in for treatment at a, at a great cost, and I can get into that a little bit later on. They also run the screening programs. They do research out of the University of Saskatchewan. There's so much. So we as a foundation are going to support the work of the cancer agency. I, I didn't realize there was so much there, um, and we can get into that for sure. Um, why, why was now the right time, and I, and I guess now in terms of the last year or so, but why now to, to have this foundation? Great question. So why now? Now, now is the time. And the time is now because um, in Saskatchewan, people are actually giving directly to the Saskatoon Cancer Centre, directly to the Allen Blair, directly to the Saskatchewan Cancer Agency because they want to make a difference. And the rationale for putting a foundation in place is to be able to take those donations and actually proactively talk to donors about what the needs are of the agency. Because when people gave to the agency, their privacy policy, as you can imagine, the agency deals with patients. Privacy is is utmost to them in terms of client confidentiality, patient confidentiality. So they were never reaching out asking for money. People are giving, they're getting their charitable tax receipt. And the agency and their board of directors realized if they had a concerted effort to fundraise, they could actually raise more money for needs of the agency. And looking East and West, Manitoba has had a cancer foundation for 20 years, Alberta for 30 years, and British Columbia for more than 50. And they've seen it done successfully, and they did a feasibility study here in Saskatchewan, and there was resounding support, and they said, let's, let's do it. We are, not, we are not fundraisers, we the agency, we are not fundraisers. We, are, we look after the patient, let's put a foundation in place to look after the donors. Why, why is doing this proactively? Why is that so important as opposed to just focusing on the work and then, I guess, waiting for the donations to come to you? Because if you can be proactive, you can address what the need is. So we can say, we need funds for this. If you don't tell people what you need and why you need it and ask for funds, you will get funds coming in the door that might be designated to something that the agency is not currently working on. And that money is going to sit there. So you could have funds designated to a specific type of cancer or cancer research that the agency's not currently working on, so the funds sit there. Donors' dollars are not used. And this way, if you go out and say, look, we need this. People want to make a difference. When they're giving, they want their money to be used. So if we can go out proactively and say, we're fundraising for this, nine times out of ten, people are going to give to that. But if they don't know about it, they're just going to give to something else. I find your job fascinating because, and, and I was telling you this when we sat down before we started the interview, um, I have, I suck at asking people for money. <laughs> I, I just find it really, really difficult to do. And yet, that that is your job and you have a wealth of experience doing it. Um, so, if I were a donor and I want to donate to the foundation, um, how, how would that conversation go? 
that conversation would take place over several months because giving is about relationship building. And if you do it right, you don't have to ask. If I talk to you, Eric, about who the foundation is and what we do and the people we serve and what those needs are, you'll offer me money. Really? Yeah. And it's over it's not just one conversation, it's over it's many, it's many conversations. First, we have to, and especially being new, so we're a new foundation, we have to create awareness. So we're out there creating awareness, letting people know who we are, why we're here, and the gap that we are filling in this province. And then we talk about what some of those needs are and what interests you. And you might have an area, you might have an interest in screening or prevention, or you might have an interest in research, or you might have, and you might not even know you've maybe been touched by cancer and you think, oh, I want to give back to cancer. Well, what area? Oh, I don't know. So it takes time to figure out where your passion is and then that's where we tap into to make sure that when you give money, it's going to go to an area that you're passionate about so you feel good about that gift and then you're going to give again. So at what point in the relationship do you, like, do you make make the ask or make the tell or, or does, does that happen or, or do they... Yeah. Yeah. So you do. You do. I can. Well, I can sit here and say we don't. We have to ask. And I'll, and sometimes I don't have to ask. But if you you do have to at some point, whether it's a direct ask or it's a inconspicuous kind of under the table ask, they don't really know you're they're being asked, but you are asking. You can physically ask. I can verbally say, you know what, Eric, I I would like you to step up and and provide a gift of. $5,000. And you'll say, oh, Nora, that's too much. Eric, what if I said to you, could you give me $5,000 over five years? Could you do $1,000 a year? That might be a better fit for you. Um, when I go to bigger corporations or individuals who have a reputation for being philanthropic, then I do ask them what their comfort level is. And I can say, I'll get back to you with a proposal and I'll put it in writing and I'll maybe give three options and then they can choose. But you can't just go out for coffee and have coffee and not talk about and not talk about the charity. You have to talk about it. You have to have the conversation. Just meeting for coffee once every month at the end of the year, you could actually have nothing except a lot of coffee bills. <laughs> so, in in your new role then with this organization, um, how how has has the um, I was going to say the art, but I, I guess the act of, of building those relationships, because cancer has, t has touched so many people in this province. Ha have you found those relationships, have they been easy to build? I, I think, I wouldn't say relationships are easy, but I wouldn't say they're hard either. Um, and, uh, and one thing I'd like to say is that, yes, one in two people in Canada will get cancer in their lifetime. So the two of us sitting here, which one of us should get cancer, right? That's a tough question to answer. But just because you've been touched by cancer doesn't mean actually that that's where your philanthropic dollars are going to go. And there is an assumption that everybody's been touched by cancer, it must be so easy to get money. And you know what? Um, I know plenty of people touched by cancer whose passion is um, the, the, lunch, the, the lunch programs in the city or the literacy or something else. It doesn't define, cancer does not define who you are or determine where your philanthropic dollars are going to go. So that relationship, for me, 
being in the role of the CEO of the Cancer Foundation, because I've been in fundraising for 15 years, I'm fairly comfortable calling here in Regina, saying who I am, and they'll say, oh sure, let, come over, let's have a conversation. The bigger challenge is this is a big province, and we don't know where the interest is, and you only, you only know about it by reaching out through marketing, communications, and one-to-one -one phone calls. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up though in terms of it's, it is an assumption and, and I, I had that assumption in my head in terms of this, this might be easier as opposed to a, a, of an, a, another cause or something like that. But you're right, it, it, doesn't determine, it doesn't determine who you are and where you want your money spent. That's right. And I think and I think it's the same. I think people would agree with me and without putting words in anybody's mouth, but these causes are so important. And I think the important thing is is that donors are given the option of where to give and to know where their dollars are going to be used. And that's another reason for the foundation being in place because we will report back. We will create a donor report, which hasn't been done before, right? We will create a newsletter and we will be able to report back on where your donations are spent, how they're making a difference and who they're impacting. Are there um, specific needs right now that you as a foundation are, are asking for? And, and I guess what would they be? Okay, so something, Things, things that we're asking for now are research dollars. I mean, we have four researchers in Saskatoon, so absolutely research dollars. Um, the, the thing that I see the, the greatest need for as somebody new to the foundation and learning more and more about the agency is the items that touch the patient. Patient care and comfort. So those items include, as you can imagine, we are a huge province. We've lost our transit system. Gas prices are astronomical, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. And patients who have to travel in for treatment from rural Saskatchewan can't afford it. So what can we do? So we as a foundation can fundraise for gift cards to help with mileage, to help with gas, to help with food. If you think of rural Saskatchewan, which is a big part of, of, of our province, a couple who are farming and one gets cancer and has to come into Saskatoon or Regina for radiation treatment for five days a week, four to five weeks at a time, the cost alone, let alone being off the farm and the loss of income and the challenge for the partner that's left there, with perhaps with family. So we raise funds for um, those gas cards, the grocery cards. Um, there are uh, needs for wigs. Some people need a wig. People who have uh, head and neck cancers, there's a certain, there is a certain type of x-ray they need, dental x-ray, that's not covered under their uh, benefit plan, and so we'll fundraise to help get that first exam done for them. There are, you know, blanket warmers, warm blankets, the new, new more comfortable chemotherapy chairs, comfortable chairs in the waiting rooms, uh, the nutrition cart. Oh my goodness, Eric, can I tell you about the nutrition cart? Please do. Okay, so in both of the cancer centers, there is a group of volunteers, and this is run solely by volunteers, except the person who organizes them all. They come in Monday to Friday, and they grab the nutrition cart that's stocked with coffee and crackers and, you know, some juice maybe, water, a few odds and ends, and they will push that nutrition cart through the cancer center all day, offering it to people who are there waiting for hours at a time, because chemotherapy takes a long time, appointments, they're in for checkups, they maybe have a family member with them, and those nutrition carts... Um, one of the things I asked the, the uh, VP that oversees patient care is, 
What do you, if you, if you had all the money in the world, what do you need? What would you like to offer? They'd like to offer hot chocolate. Well, why don't you? Because it costs too much. Because not everybody drinks coffee. So imagine in the winter, you're in there, you don't drink coffee, maybe you'd like a hot chocolate, or you have a child with you who would have a hot chocolate. Those nutrition cards, so $10,000 for one year will fund all those items on a nutrition card. Ginger ale, right? Things like that. This is fascinating because I thought you were going to say, like, bigger things or, like, you know, quote-unquote, like, sexier things like the, you know, machines and, and devices that will help, you know, you know, find and diagnose things. But these are, like, you're talking about gas cards and hot chocolate for nutrition, like, all these little things. Like, when, when you tell, when you explain this to, to donors, what, what is their reaction? They're shocked, first of all. Like I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think, you know what, the thing you have to think about is this is one of the toughest times in your life. When you're diagnosed with cancer and you don't know what the outcome's going to be, you don't know how you're going to react to treatment, you have no idea how it's going to impact your health, your mental health, your physical health, your family, your friends, your community. When we say cancer touches everybody, it does. It doesn't just hit one person. It affects everybody that's within their circle. And if we can do something to make that journey a little bit easier, so you're sitting there day after day for chemotherapy with your loved one and walk by and say, here's a Tim Hortons gift card, 10 bucks. Go get yourself a coffee. Go downstairs to the cafeteria and get yourself a bite to eat, right? It's those small things that go, hey, somebody cares, right? Somebody cares. And when we can say donors care, the people in this province care about the people in this province getting treatment, that gives people a mental lift, right? And I think, it's, I think it is so important. And you know what, Eric, I will say, there are equipment needs, and I'll, I'll gladly talk about that too. But you know, when you say, what are you doing immediately? From the time I've started, this is kind of what we're looking at immediately. Why is this important to you? Oh. Charity, charity is important to me. People are important to me. And I, this is important to me because I have worked in the charitable sector for 15 years, and I started my journey in cancer. And it's like coming full circle for me because I'm back and I'm actually now in a role doing something that I've always wanted to do, which is raise money that's gonna stay here in this province to support my family, my friends, my community, my neighbors. And should cancer, one again, one in two, should cancer be the disease that strikes my family? I, I want the resources there to give us the best possible chance of a cure. And whether that be research or technology or new equipment or medication, I just believe strongly that we as a community, and when I say community, I mean Saskatchewan, should all do our part in making sure we take care of not only ourselves, but our friends and our neighbors. That was really nice. Um, last question for you. Where, where do you see the foundation going in, in, in the next year? I, I know it's, it's, it's pretty new, um, but just from following, um, you know, the, the, the Facebook page and Instagram and the, all the social media stuff, like, you've been busy, and so I'm wondering where, where you like to see the organization in, in the next year? Where, I guess, what are some of the goals? 
So some of our goals in the next year, we just we have to continue to build awareness because people don't know we're here and people don't know that we're actually filling a gap. Every dollar you give to the foundation stays in Saskatchewan to support the cancer care and treatment for people here in Saskatchewan. That's really important to us. Within the next year, we are going to have a campaign and we are going to start fundraising for two specific, one specific machine in two specific locations. And that are the CT simulators. There's one in Regina and there's one in Saskatoon and they're both in the cancer centers and you cannot have radiation therapy unless you first have a full body simulation. And the machines that are there right now are at the end of life. There's new technology that we could take advantage of right now. And for us as a foundation, in order to get, um, have the biggest impact we can have. This impacts everybody who undergoes radiation treatment because you need the images of the body in order to target where the radiation is going to go. Um, I would say one other thing about what's, what are my goals for the Cancer Foundation and my, my goal is for when people think about giving to cancer or making an impact or helping their friend and neighbor with cancer that we're the first foundation, we're the first organization that comes to mind. Those are big goals. But you were smiling on that last one. I'm smiling on the last one because I I just it's fun. Like Eric, this is this is a serious job, but you know, I enjoy it because I'm out talking to people about making a difference and when, when a donor can make the connection between their passion and what their volunteerism or their donor dollars can do to help other people and you see you see the light go on in their eyes, it's it's incredible feeling. And, and it's selfishly, that's that's what I love. And, it, and so I'm selfish in this job as well. <laughs> Nora, thank you so much. I, I, you're a very busy person. And, uh, and I know you're going to spend the afternoon with your daughter, so I'll, I'll let you go hang out with her. But thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks, Eric. I've really enjoyed it. I want to thank you for the work you do and for bringing awareness to the Cancer Foundation and to other charities in, in the community. It's, it's incredible and it's fabulous, so thanks so much. Nora Yates is the CEO of the Cancer Foundation of Saskatchewan, and if you want to learn more about the foundation or perhaps want to donate, just visit cancerfoundationsask.ca. It's a really great website, and you can learn uh, lots about the foundation and how it's impacting people um, all across the province, not only in Saskatoon. Um, and Amy, I'm wondering, how, how do you think this foundation is going to help people? You know, I often get asked by people where they can donate money to, like to help with either cancer research or, or people going through cancer treatment. I get asked that question pretty regularly and often people in Saskatchewan or in Saskatoon want their money to stay local and so if you want your money to stay local in Saskatchewan and in Saskatoon, this is a place for you. I, I found it really interesting to, um, when I asked her the question about what are you fundraising for and I was picturing these, you know, big machines or, or big research projects and yet she says little things like like a Tim's card or or um, you know things for transportation because we don't have STC anymore like all those little things yeah. really make a difference don't they and I totally agree with that and you you see that with people who are fighting cancer too like they're not difficult to please right they they really appreciate these small things um, right like a cup of coffee like a gas card to get to their appointments like like a volunteer driver, like those things, they really appreciate it. So it's not hard to make a difference. You know what else I appreciate? All your work. 
on this podcast episode, Amy. Oh. So th thank you. I appreciate your work. You work like a dog. No, no, no. This, this has been lots of fun. And, and this has been part one of episode 12 of YXE Underground. My name is Eric Anderson. Um, Amy Smith-Morris has been um, just a, a wonderful co-host and has been the, the engine behind these episodes. So, Amy, I want to give a big thank you to you. Thank you. Uh, we, we have one more episode together, which drops on Thursday, and that's going to feature, I think, one of the most meaningful and heartfelt interviews I've ever been a part of. So you're going to hear a conversation with registered social worker and yoga teacher, Colleen McBride and Michael McLaughlin, who is a cancer survivor, and he attributes so much of his physical and especially his mental recovery to Colleen and her yoga practices. You've, you've heard the interview. Do you want to give a little sneak peek? Oh, it's hard to sum up, you know. I, I, I would have to say Colleen was my social worker when I was going through treatment. Um, and she was also my co-worker when I was at the cancer agency. And so I have a special place in my heart for Colleen, really, because I think what people don't realize is that you have to heal your body from cancer, but you have to heal your mind. And that's what Colleen's all about. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited for people to hear their conversation and to hear your insights too as well in the next episode. So I think people are really going to enjoy the episode. Uh, a few quick thank yous before we go. I want to quickly thank uh, Janelle Wallace, who's the podcast photographer. She took some incredible portraits of the people that you heard in this episode, including Amy. Was the photo shoot fun? Oh, so much fun. She's fabulous. Yeah, she's wonderful. Uh, big shout out to my cousin Andrew Dixon for creating the original theme music. To the CBC's Kareen Larson and David Hutton for their continued support. Uh, to my... Uh, uh, it says to the script says it, the script says to my wife Fred and our dog Fred. It should be to my wife Jennifer and her and our dog Fred. So much love for Fred. Oh, Fred's pretty great. Uh, oh boy, proofread Eric, proofread. Um, and Amy, thanks again to you for everything. This this has been like months in the making, and and I sure appreciate it. So thank you. I'm so glad you could shine a spotlight on cancer care. So thank you. Uh, so subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcast. And you can also stream and download episodes on the website, yxeunderground.com. And you can also find the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And I would also like to acknowledge that all of these interviews, as well as our voicing, took place on Treaty 6 territory and the traditional homeland of the Métis. Don't forget, part two of episode 12 drops in two days. So be sure to check back in. Amy will be here. I will be here, and we hope you are as well. Thanks again to all the guests for sharing their stories in this episode. My name is Eric Anderson, and we'll talk to you in two days, Saskatoon.